Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk's podcast. Today we're continuing our podcast series, Building Verbal Imitation in Late Talkers. Now this is actually the third show in this series, but the second level or the second uh, rung in our hierarchy of how we're teaching late talking toddlers to imitate. And in case you missed the first show, let me just say, why is imitation important? Because imitation is how kids learn everything. And it's how you learn things too, which is why you are probably watching this podcast on YouTube so that you can see these techniques and see these strategies and figure out how to imitate that in your own lives. And so imitation is so important for us beginning in even in infancy. And so we're going to walk through how imitation plays such a critical role in language development and how it's the number one skill that we should be teaching all late talking toddlers. Now if you're just joining me for this series, like I said before, uh, show 422 is the first show in this series where we looked at why imitation matters and the background information. The next show, 423, was this first level or first step, first phase, whatever you want to call it, in this hierarchy uh, of imitation skills. And so we looked first at teaching a child to imitate actions with objects and so in this show today we bump it up a little bit and we're teaching children how to imitate body movements that turn into communicative gestures and so before we go any further let me direct your attention to the handout and you can get the great handout for this course with purchase of CE credit and this is a continuing education course for therapists so that if you want to use this credit uh, for speech language pathologists towards your ASHA certification or your licensure in your state or your credentialing process in your uh, state early intervention program, you can certainly do this. And even if you're not a therapist but you just want access to this information, lots and lots of parents buy these handouts and save them so that they can use them for their own uh, training their own self, uh, a teaching that they're doing as they're working with their children at home, and even to share with other team members. Sometimes therapists will email me at Teach Me to Talk and say, I found you through a parent on my caseload. And so I so appreciate that when therapists are sharing our information with parents and vice versa. All right, so I've told you how to get the handout for today's course. And let me also remind you that all of this information is from my therapy manual called Building verbal imitation skills in toddlers and you can get that at my website at teach me to talk and the link is right there below in the post uh, here on YouTube all right so why does information about imitation matter and I said this in the last show and I'm gonna say it in every show in this nine-part podcast series if we aren't working on the right goals or if we aren't meeting a child where he or she is at the right place in learning how to imitate our progress is going to stall a child will not be able to move forward because we're working at a level that's too hard and too high for that child. So that's why I developed this series so that we can uh, teach therapists how to teach parents uh, to just find that just right spot for working on imitation with children because again we want to move them along that continuum so that they move from being nonverbal to verbal. And we talked about in the first two shows the five steps of really teaching a child a new word. First he has to connect 
connect with you. Secondly, he has to share that attention with you and pay attention to what you are paying attention to. He has to understand conceptually what you're talking about so that if we were talking about my cup here, he would he would begin to understand that when you say cup, you're talking about this. So that referent or reference for that word, which is the symbol that represents uh, this cup. Fourthly, a child has to be able to say it or vocalize it. And then before he, and that's what we're talking about in this series of shows with imitating. And then lastly, he has to be able to use that imitated word to really pull it all together, to connect with you, communicate with you, know what that word means, know how to say it, and then know how to use it. And so that's why we're walking through this. Imitation is that critical fourth step in helping a child learn to use new words. And so today, remember what we said in our other shows too, we can't start with words when we're thinking about late-talking toddlers and teaching them how to imitate. And why can we say that? Because if it were going to happen naturally or easily, it would have already happened. (laughs) And as a parent of a late talker, you certainly know that. You've already tried all these things at home, and so you're looking for some better ways to do it. And with therapists, we certainly, when we start with teaching a child to imitate, or when we try to start with trying to teach a child to imitate at the word level, it's just too complicated. So we've got to bring it way down to where that late talking toddler can be successful. And so, like we said before, the first step in that is learning how to imitate actions with objects. And again, we said in that show, it's because that's easier. That motor imitation is going to be easier for a child who's really struggled verbally. And again, how do we know he's struggling verbally? Because he's over one and not talking. (laughs) So now we're ready for that second, where we're going to take that that second level. We're going to take that imitation that we started out here with a toy or with an object. We're going to make it just about our bodies. And so this is, again, so dependent on a child's ability to be able to watch you and do what you do. And so there are some strategies that we can use to make that easier. But before we get there, I want to start with three big important points about today's uh, level of imitation, which again is using body, body movements and gestures. And so let me give you some important information about gestures. So what are gestures? Gestures are any kind of body movement that we use to communicate a message. So it's not just that we're waving our hand when someone is leaving. When we're doing that, we're actually saying what? We're actually saying bye, see you later. (laughs) So gestures are such an important part of uh, communicating with other people. And we use them again from the time that we are babies turning one year old all the way through adulthood. And so why are gestures important? Because we know from research that gestures immediately precede spoken words in typical language development. And so when we see that a child is starting to wave, like wave bye-bye, or starting to point to indicate his wants and needs, or starting to point even in response to a book when his mom says, where's the bus? And he points to the picture of the bus. Show me the dog. And he points to the picture of the dog. That's very communicative. Or when a child shakes his head, you know, yes and no. Or when he uh, even even does something like uh, a stinky kind of sign. You've changed his diaper. He's he's smelling that poop, and he starts to you know do ooh pu that kind of thing. He's communicating with you, even if he can't say, boy, that really stinks. He can certainly use a little gesture, and you can share that experience, and you know what he means by that. But the reason that this is so important is in typical development that symbolism or that 
level of, hey, I'm going to use my body to tell you something, that happens just before kids begin to be able to use words to do that. And so that's why gestures are so important and why we're specifically thinking about teaching gestures here. Because again, it's a part of that hierarchy of imitation and it's how we know that words emerge. Uh, The second important point that I'm going to teach you about gestures is that it's a huge red flag in a child's development if he's not using gestures, beginning to use gestures and imitate gestures and then use them on his own by the time he's 12 months old. So when we see a baby turning one who's not doing those things, we know that their language is going to be delayed because they haven't started to use gestures as we would expect. They haven't become symbolic. And so if you're a therapist listening to this, and I think I said this in the last show back in 423 when we were talking about uh, actions with objects and we sort of started talking about moving forward with gestures, I said this is one of the questions that we should ask when someone you know, first comes to us and says, hey, I heard you're a speech therapist. I'm going to ask you some questions about my baby. And when they, instead of saying how many words does that child have, one of the things that we should be asking about is gestures. How many gestures does she use? How easy it for easy is it for her to communicate a message just with her body, even if she's not talking? And children who certainly are using gestures to compensate, who are able to process what you've said and then start to communicate a message back to you with their little bodies, even if they can't talk, are much further along developmentally and much further along language-wise than they would be if they were not using gestures. So again, this is why it's so so important. Now, another big thing that I want to talk to you about gestures is that these are the first kinds of real body movements. The first times that they occur in typical development would be when children start to learn to participate in those cute little parent-child routines. And I'm talking about social games like peekaboo or like patty cake or like so big if you know how to play that game. So those little exchanges are so important. And that's when children, even under one year start to really use their little bodies in imitation of their parents. And again, this is how that whole process of talking begins. It's learning how to copy something that you see someone else do. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's go ahead and take a look at the levels of imitation. And I showed, I've shown you this graphic in both of the previous shows, and we're going to look at it in every show in this series and I want you to see where we are at level two with body movements and gestures. And again, this is so important for you as a parent to see we work way up there. We want level seven. We want those functional words. We want to hear a kid start to imitate words like mama and bye-bye and go and more and milk and all those really functional, familiar words that we want to hear. But look, we can't get there until a child has has learned how to imitate these easier, earlier levels. And so that's what this whole process is about. It's figuring out where a child can be successful at learning to imitate and then walking him through that whole process. So we're back up here at level two. So even mentally, if you have jumped ahead as a parent or as a therapist and you're so focused up here on words and you wonder why you're not making progress, (laughs) 
the answer is back here in these earlier, easier levels of imitation. And so again, today we've moved up to talking about level two with body movements and, ge and gestures. Now kids are mastering this kind of imitation right around that one year level. And so this is so, so important for us uh, to think about how easy and how early that comes in. And one other thing that we're talking about in this series is figuring out where to start with a kid. Because with all kids who are uh, late talkers, they're somewhere along this continuum when we first meet them as speech language pathologists or other, other kinds of therapists. And so we have to figure out where they are. And so we talked about in the last show when we start, you know, where do we start? And so we said with kids with actions, with objects, those are the kids that were kind of starting at the beginning because they don't really have a ton of play skills or if they do, you feel like those skills are pretty isolated and there's not really evidence of that direct, immediate imitation. And so we said that when a kid is nonverbal or when there are other kinds of developmental delays that will be starting back at this level two, so, or the level one, I mean, we'll start back at this level two, T-O-O is an also. But here we've bumped up a little bit. So how do we know if, if this is where we need to start with a child in teaching imitation? How do we know if this is that just right level? So I start here when a kid can already do the things in level one. So he's already able to watch me during play and copy what I do. He, it's not just a one-time fluky thing. He's done it pretty consistently. I remember in the last show and in the previous show when we talked about starting points, we said we want about a dozen, so 10 to 12 examples that we can readily think of or that we that a child can demonstrate for us, not over the course of five days, but you know, even in the course of a therapy session, because we know that's when he's mastered that particular skill with the, the frequency that we see it. You know, quantity matters. And so we can't really give a kid credit for something when we've only seen him do it once or twice and when he doesn't really use that skill and so here we're really talking about getting that consistency and making sure that we have seen and heard the levels of imitation that, that we've targeted in the previous level before we move on to the next level so we're going to start here at level two when a kid can imitate actions with objects which usually means that they're playing appropriately with lots of toys and that they use objects in their everyday life really fun so what would that mean? That would mean when they see a sock, they know the sock goes on their foot. That would mean when the, you give them uh, a washcloth when they are in the tub and you're giving them a bath, that they know to take the cloth and scrub their little bodies. They understand what objects are used for that are that they are familiar with that they've learned previously another time that we start here at this level is when we see no gestures and we think i can't believe this kid isn't waving yet i can't believe he's not clapping yet i can't believe he's not giving mom high five those kinds of things and let me just let me just say a little one little thing here you can't just have a kid, like I said before, do a gesture one or two times and then mark it off and say, oh, he's imitating gestures. We want to see these skills as I mentioned before, quantitatively, meaning they do it a lot, and qualitatively. It's not just that, you know, 
sometimes we'll see a kid, especially a kid who's uh, on the spectrum, who uh, waves in an unusual way. And a mom will say, yeah, he's waving bye-bye, but he's got his little hand right in front of his face. And we know that he is trying to do that, and we're not taking away anything from him, from his attempt there, but that's probably self-stimulatory. And somehow that little wave developed right in front of his eyes, but he's not really using it communicatively. He might do it that way when mom cues it, but it's, it's an atypical presentation of that gesture. And so, again, uh, sometimes, we, you know, we have to be really, really careful about that, really looking at what a parent is reporting and what a child is doing and help that move toward uh, being more communicative when a child is, is doing something like that. So, again, we would start here when a kid has no gestures or very few gestures. Let's say that you're looking through this list and you say, gosh, you know, he, he, he sometimes he sort of points, but that's it. You know, that's going to let you know, here's where you need to begin. This is where the skills are emerging. And we talked about this back in uh, the first show that I did in this series back in 422. And you got this handout with that Why Imitation Matters uh, show so that you could uh, – have some questions to really ask yourself you know is this child doing this is has he mastered this or is this emerging and remember what we said about emerging skills this is where we want to start we want to start with kids with with this approach in the lowest level where their skills are emerging and so even if a kid has a lot of splinter skills he's just all over the place he's got a couple words he's got a couple play sounds a couple gestures but he really hasn't mastered anything you start at that lowest developmental level and again for this uh process that we're talking about if, if he just has a few gestures but his play skills are moving along fine and, he, and and it's obvious that he's learning how to imitate with toys and everyday objects this is where you would begin another time that I begin here at level two with a late talker is when they like music but they're not really connecting with me with toys or for some reason music is just they're just very best response I mean it's just dramatically different how they respond to me uh, when I'm singing to them or when we're using something that's musical versus when we're not. And so when that's the case, we know that we can do a lot of social games and a lot of singing and really get imitation going with body actions and gestures here at with music. So that's another reason that might make you want to start here with a kid at level two. And then another thing that we talked about is when we have a child who just tunes us out when we start to use toys like we did back in level one. And we've had just a real, just, we, we can't really move beyond that. Yet a child's play skills, you know that they're there and there's some kind of disconnect. The problem is, again, disconnect is your operative word there. He's not connecting with you. And so sometimes here at level two, Two, we're going to see a better response with social games than we might even have seen with toys. And so is that to say, we'll skip level one and go straight to level two? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is when there's a difference when a kid, when you know, okay, he's got some play skills and that's developing because he could, he's, he's playing with these toys great, but why isn't he still with me? It's that social piece that you need to work on. And that's what working on imitating body movements will do for you here, especially when you're using those little social fun social games because he has to connect with you to be able to imitate that action and I would say to be able to imitate that action he has to connect with you you know those things go hand in hand so again it's a perfect way to start uh, to work with our little friends who have markers for autism or who will go on to be diagnosed with autism 
All right, so let's talk about how we teach a child to imitate body movements and gestures. And remember what we said, we want to teach this body movement imitation as a prerequisite or just the first step for moving them toward gestures. And remember, we're not teaching the gestures just to imitate them in and of themselves. They have to be communicative or communicative, however you want to say that word. So with this, if we look back at our original chart from building verbal imitation skills in toddlers, we'll see that here at the the top part of the chart, we have simple big body actions that we're going to try to get a child to imitate. And then it gets a little harder. We're gonna make we're gonna make those big body actions more refined and use those actions that look more like gestures. And so let's go back up here for a minute. The simple big body action. So this would be gross motor things like kicking, marching, jumping, uh, any kind of, uh, you know, banging your hands on your table, a table or your lap, dancing. Again, any kind of big gross motor movement. And here, when we move down the chart to easy communicative gestures, this is waving, clapping, blowing kisses, giving five, shaking your head yes or no, and reaching. And again, the first one there might have, uh, the easiest one would be reaching to be lifted up or when you want your parents to pick you up. So those are the kinds of early things. And then the last phase, last step here in this phase would be uh, moving up to using those gestures, making them more meaningful. And so again, a lot of times kids have to do that and uh, hand motions with songs or simple sign language, those kinds of things, we, we kind of morph. Those gestures morph into more meaningful communication. And that's when a lot of kids kind of get it, like the aha moment with, oh, yeah, I can wave. I can point to let my mom uh, know what I want. I can use my body in ways that communicate messages, even if I'm not talking yet. And so, again, that's such an important predictor for when uh, the, uh, words are going to come in and, and again that a child is becoming symbolic but we have to remember that a kid's not going to get here he's not going to get down here to using sign language which is really what the ultimate gestural system communicatively he's not going to get there until he can do these other things first so that's why we're looking at this in this very sequential way of teaching a child to imitate gestures. And think back to typical development in infancy and toddlerhood. Uh, we talked about that these first kinds of things, we may see them first with typically developing kids as they learn how to do these simple, simple kinds of imitative things uh, within the context of those little social games. So let's look at the first therapy clip of this course. And I, again, I'm so excited about our $10 CEU program so that we can bump up our teaching level a little bit and do things that are more intermediate and advanced. And so that's why we're showing video clips uh, in these uh, podcast series. Pardon me. So we're going to look at our first little girl today, and she is just a couple of weeks away from turning one. And the reason that I'm showing you this is because I want to remind you as a therapist how easily children learn how to imitate these kinds of things in the context of a social game. So this is this sweet little baby learning to play peekaboo with me. This is a pretty new game for her that her uh, mom had told me that she was just uh, learning to do. So take a look at this video and then we'll talk about it a little bit more after you watch the clip. Where's Avery? Where's Avery? Boom! There's Avery. There she is. Where's Avery? Where's Avery? 
You can do it. Where's Avery? Oh, there's Avery. I know. Where's Avery? Where's Avery? Wasn't that adorable? <laughs> she was so cute and you know learning to cover her hands with her face and then coordinate it and you could see that she still had her little pointer finger there from where she had previously been pointing or wanting to point. So gestures and using her little body to communicate actions to whoever's there with her, her parents, me, whoever. And remember this little girl wasn't in speech. She was typically developing. She was not using words at this point but wow she was really learning to use her little body to communicate those messages. So how do we know when a kid is developmentally ready to do these kinds of body movement uh, imitation, this kind of body movement imitation that we see in level two, we can look for some readiness signs. And I mentioned it earlier, one of the earliest cues is when a kid is lifting his arms to be picked up. And again, this is a physical thing that he does. It's a body movement, but he's starting to do it in response to his mom holding her hands out or dad holding his hands out and saying, you want me to pick you up or just saying, up and that sort of thing and so that's one of the first things we can do and so when we have a child who's not able to do that because of low muscle tone high muscle tone whatever else would be going on with him that's that's a big red flag too that we're not going to maybe be able to use gestures as much as we would like to or or that that's going to be harder for that uh, child to be able to master that just because of those motoric challenges that he has so that's certainly something that we need to consider as therapists uh, we're going to see a little girl uh, like this in our next course that will talk more about that when kids have those severe motor challenges, what we have to do to address that and what we have to think about that. All right, so remember what we said too about gestures is that we start out with them being just this copying of, of another person's physical movements, but we do want it to move to be symbolic because our ultimate goal here is what? It's communication, it's language. And even though we're starting with things that are not communicative and things that are not symbolic, just like you know, waving your hands or clapping, we still know that we're moving toward that symbolic use of that gesture. So let's talk about some other gestures that children may use that aren't really symbolic, but they're more like physical manipulation, or, or I kind of think about them as sort of a hybrid gesture in that let, let's take a classic one of a kid who's on the spectrum who who his main mode of communicating with his mom is to take her hand and to make her do something that he wants her to do. And so it could be, you know, operating a toy that he can't operate. And as a therapist, you've probably had that happen where you've been working with a kid and he reaches over and takes your hand and makes you do it. And you always kind of think, wow, that would just be easier if you did it because you're already pulling my hand of what you want me to do. But again, they know that they can't do it and they know they need your help. However, they don't always realize and they 
don't always demonstrate, let's say it that way, they don't always demonstrate as they're using your big old hand to do what they want you to do, or even, you know, pull you into the kitchen to do something, they don't always have that social piece. So they're not always looking at you when they do it. Even, it's kind of, you know, they're kind of, it's like a one trick. You know, I know how to pull, but that's all I know how to do. That's where I stop. And so sometimes, again, we have to be sure that we are looking at that and thinking, making sure that children are socially connected to us when we're using uh, these gestures. And and again, we talked about how easily and how early these uh, uh, come into being. They start to appear in typical development. And so things like waving, things like pointing are uh, are, are those first things that we see. And again, they, they happen in typical development. And let me just go on and say one more thing. They even will happen sometimes in kids with speech language delays as a way, or even a disorder like apraxia, as a way to compensate because the kids know, I can't talk yet. I can't say it verbally. So let's take another look here at our sweet little friend that we just watched do that cute little peekaboo routine. Let's watch her here with some early gestures and then we're going to talk about, um, again, how these emerge and what we can do to get these going in our late-talking little friends. There you go. Go hide. You're waving. Bye-bye. You're right. He went bye-bye. He went bye-bye. You're right. Oh, what's that? You're pointing. What's that? It's All right, I could have probably given you a little context before we watch that clip. That little girl there start, is waving. She's waving to Johnny, my husband, the other half of Teach Me to Talk, where, and he, he had set up the video camera, but he wasn't going to be there with us, and he was waving. And then, do you see what she did after that? She pointed, and she was pointing out the window because she had made the connection that when people leave and she's telling them bye-bye, then she sees them go out the window. How smart is that? But look how early and how easily she coordinated those uh, nonverbal movements so that we could understand her message. And remember, this is a little girl who's not using words yet, but look how she used her body there to communicate those messages. And so she did waving and pointing. Now, waving and pointing, I think those are just the two kind of quintessential gestures that we expect toddlers to do. Uh, waving bye-bye again and pointing usually uh, starts to emerge or come in at about 12 months, right when a lot of kids also or right before kids start to use their first words. And so those are big, big, uh, important milestones. But lots of our little guys have so much difficulty with waving and pointing. And why would that be? These would be traced back to the factors that we said would also negatively impact a child's ability to imitate actions with objects. And so it could be that there's a social issue. They're not connected enough to another person to watch them and to want to be able able to again have that back and forth exchange. They're not watching them use those early gestures so that they can be able to imitate those. They're not interacting well enough for that to happen. So it could be that a child is not engaged at the level that he should be before gestures would become meaningful. So that it could be a social problem. There could be a cognitive issue in that the child isn't symbolic. He sees you waving your hand but he has real 
no real idea of why that's occurring. <laughs> Waving doesn't make sense to him yet because he hasn't linked meaning with that. And remember, that's what we said about cognitive skills. It's Parents kind of think about it as how smart a kid is. How does he remember? How does he make connections? How does he make associations? And so when we have a kid who's not understanding how to use gestures communicatively, cognitively, there, there could be, it could be due to a cognitive problem. He's not really understanding that that, that body movement represents something else. And that's, again, why it's so important for those kids that we back up. And we just get imitation for the sake of imitation, which is great, but then we have to help them link meaning with that as well. It could be that a child isn't waving and pointing because there's a motor problem. He can't really direct his little body and control his little body to use his arms or his hands in the way that he wants to. He cannot perform those physical movements yet. So because of that and because of all these reasons that I've been stating, that's why we don't jump to gestures first. That's why we're going to look, uh, pay attention more to this whole body imitation first and get that established and try these earlier, easier things uh, that we would want to do first. And so I want to direct your attention to your handout. And so I have this organized uh, in a real sequential way so that it makes a lot of sense to you. But you'll look here, examples of imitating body movements and gestures. And so the first thing that we would want to do would be these easier things like clapping. And so how can we get clapping going in a late talker here who's not doing much imitating with any body movements. Well, try to clap after he or she does something wonderful. So clap in praise of her. Uh, when people watched TV more, game shows, The Price is Right, Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, and there's clapping, that's a, that's a context where a lot of kids uh, start to clap. Or uh, even on a children's show, a lot of times you'll hear lots of clapping. So, so use that. Bring your hands to midline is a really early important uh, a skill here for kids and so when we have kids who have a lot of motor delays a lot of motor challenges because of muscle tone differences that may be or strength or whatever it happens to be that may be hard for those kids and so you may have to modify this uh, some as an SLP but think about again just how early bringing hands to midline emerge I said in the last show that last week I got to spend a week with our new grandbaby who's 10 weeks old and you know he's already bringing his hands to midline and so again when we're, when we're seeing a child who's who's not coordinated enough to do that, we know that there are there are some motoric components to his or her developmental delay. And sometimes as an SLP, we see that even before, uh, you know, a kid may have only been referred for speech because that's his parents' only concern or the physician has it, has it somehow somebody has missed that, gosh, there's a physical issue here as well and so sometimes we may have to uh, notice, make some referrals about that because we notice those things like gosh this kid you know can't clap because he can't get to midline and so clapping is huge and that's the first gesture that I try to get and so we're going to talk about this a little later but let me just say now when we're working on these things hand over hand assistance or, or providing physical help to get a kid to do this is what you need to do you can you can make his or her little body do it. And so we want to take advantage of that while we're still at this uh, level two imitation with body movements. All right, another really easy 
uh, body movement to get a kid to do first or to try to do first with clapping. Another one is banging on a table or a tray or their lap or the floor, just taking their hands and banging. And again, remember what we said, we're going for what? Not that they can do this on their own. Not that you say to them, bang on the table and they do it. You know, that's so unrealistic <laughs> for a toddler who's at this face, but in imitation. So they want to copy you. And again, we want them to copy these actions in preparation to move through that whole process to the point that they can, they're developmentally ready to copy words. But this is where it starts. And don't dismiss this as an SLP or as a parent or another kind of therapist. Don't dismiss this and say, what does this have to do with talking? This is learning how to imitate. And this imitating process, remember we said it happens for kids who struggle verbally. It happens out here first motorically. So we back up and do it like that. So banging is that second one that I really want you to try. And so how would you do that? You would just uh, wait until a child is fairly attentive to what you were doing and you would just you would just model it. You would say something like, Oh and then Oh, did you see me? or bang, 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 or boom, 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 or whatever you want to say, and get that going with that. Get that child. See if he'll do it, too. You've got to be, make it fun, though. You've got to use high affect, or as I like to say, ratchet it up a notch. If you're just being so boring, and they just look at you like, what is that? And go right back to what they're doing. You know that you've got to amp up your affect. You've got to really, really make it worth it uh, and be more excited and be more animated so that they're going to want to imitate you as they do uh, these early movements. Uh, dancing is another great early body movement to try and you can do that with or without music. But kids love music. And we talked about how you, you can really use music at this level to help kids begin to connect with us and help us begin, help them begin to imitate our body movements. So music might be, be something, you know, you can put on some music and you start to dance and see if you can get a child to do some dancing kind of movements and imitation of you and with you. And if they don't do it, again, take their little hands, help them move a little bit, and again, make it as fun and as playful as you can to really... I get that going. Another wonderful early uh, body movement here, and this becomes a little bit more communicative. We probably could have put it uh, next up in the, the next little rung of skills because it is a little social game, but it's learning how to give five. But so many babies and toddlers right at a year old, that's when they learn how to do that. And so if you have a little client who's not doing that, or if you're a parent and your own little late talker isn't doing that, that's a game that you can get going today where you're just holding up your hand and getting, you know, say, give me five, give me five. And if they don't know how to do that, you can teach it in a couple of ways. You can have someone else do it with you. So you and dad can give each other five and then reach out your hand after a few times to your child and say, you give me five. If they don't do it, what you should do is take your free hand take and take their little hand and help them uh, smack your hand uh, to give you five so great little early gesture early body movement to get it, get get that little interaction and that uh, again that imitation going at that level knocking on a door is a great little early body movement to try here and we talked about that you could use that kind of thing back in level one because that door is technically an object but here we we're looking at it like a body movement. And so knocking on a door, and you know, you could do that on a toy. You could do it on any door in your home. You could do it, you know, just anywhere. And so model that and have a kid uh, do that with you and help them if you can't do it. 
uh, if a kid is really kind of resistant to that me touching him or he's he's just for whatever reason he's not connected enough with me that that might feel kind of invasive for me to constantly be touching his little hands to help him do the things that we talked about you might start with a bigger gross uh, gross motor body movement so something like marching where you're just marching around the room and again make it big and make it fun and you might even sing a little song I have a marching song that I'm gonna that I'll go ahead and sing for you it's in teach me to play with you if you want to get the words for that and teach me to play with you is one of my therapy manuals I'll uh, post the link below here on YouTube but the song goes and you you do you do the the uh, you do the actions with the song so uh, that you're singing so the song goes marching 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 hop 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 Running, 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 running. Now we stop. Now we stop. And so, again, you've got a lot of action words there, but lots of gross motor movements that you can have a kid imitate with you. And how I normally do that game is I get everybody who's there to want to play it. And so we march together and we hop and then you know there's a running, running, running part. And so great gross motor uh movements for a child to try to imitate within the context of that game. You can even do something like uh, when you're playing bubbles. So really punching the bubbles, you know, with fisted hands. And you could even say pow, 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 if you want to add a little exclamatory word, which is coming up in level five. But that's a fun thing to do. Or even kicking the bubbles. Or instead of gently popping the bubbles with your fingers, you you could try really clapping the bubbles or smacking the bubbles with a big gross motor gesture when they land on the floor but anything like that so those that that's a really good idea being able to take a gross motor activity and you might have to do that kind of thing first for a while even before you can do something like clapping or banging on the table uh, or even knocking on a door because that just might be easier so mess around with these kinds of uh, gross motor actions and see what might be easier for a child to imitate will you always get success in the first few times you introduce these things no and why is that because the child has developmental delays <laughs> it's going to be harder for him if he were typically developing it would be easier easier to get these things going but we know that it's not and so we know it's going to take some effort and while these things these strategies make it easier it may not happen with the first few times that you try it now as a therapist you know that and I bet as a therapist sometimes parents have said to you something like they've said to me like well if I tried as hard as you did he would be doing it now you know when they say that to me I want to say well my work is done here. Bye. See you later. <laughs> you figured it all out. You've got to really try. You have to make a big, big effort with this. And so that's something that I want to encourage you uh, to do as a therapist or a parent. And as a therapist, you need to really be modeling how hard you have to try to get a kid to imitate some of these things uh, so that a parent will see, gosh, you know, it didn't just happen on the first try for her either. I've got to keep doing it and doing it and doing it so that it does become easy. All right, so this next little clip I want to show you is, is an example of that, of when it's a little harder. This is a, a little friend of mine who at this time was five. I had worked with him back when he was in our state's early intervention program, just briefly, maybe uh, six months or so, and then, you know, life happened, they, you know, different changes. So I didn't see this little boy for a while. I didn't see him for several years, and his grandmother ended up... <laughs> 
leaving me a note in my mailbox at my house. <laughs> she tracked me down. And so I started to uh, see him again. And this is him again when he's older. You can see that this is the little boy who had a really hard start. He had some intestinal problems when he was born. And so he had to have a surgery when he was just a few days old. And that led to a stroke, a neurological event there. And so lots of things went wrong <laughs> in those first few days and weeks of his life. And you can see here, he still continues to have lots and lots of physical challenges. He's walking at this point, but you can certainly see uh, by looking at his body movements that he still struggles uh, with controlling his little body and doing things purposefully. And so this is what we do. This is how we work on gestures, even with a kid who's nonverbal, even with a kid who's who's sort of starting to use some AA uh see systems to communicate which is something else that we had going with him but you still want to use these these little routines and so watch this and then i'll talk to you more about him telling us is that unless he just really physically yeah. give me five to push him give me five <laughs> i love that smile give me five hey how are you how are you give me five <laughs> and break give me five give me five 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 you give me five All right, so you see how hard I had to work to get him to give me five. And remember, he is five. But we use this little game communicatively. His grandmother, who was the caregiver who brought him to therapy, uh, really talked to his teacher. And, and we had this idea in therapy. You know, she really was so concerned about him fitting in his new preschool classroom. And so that's one of the things we did and taught his teacher is let's, let's have him really play give me five with other kids. And so they put him as a little door greeter in the morning so that when every child came into that classroom, they could give him five and he could connect with them that way. That was wonderful for this little boy too because he got all that practice. Now, was that something he was able to initiate on his own? No, not at this time developmentally, but can you see how it would be? And can you see how he could use that little gesture communicatively, even to get a little friendship or a little exchange? going with another same age peer and so we can use these social games use these little routines these gestures even as kids get older and even with our older kids who are still going to be struggling with learning to talk and learning to communicate for a long time but I wanted to show you that that clip because I think sometimes we forget about that all right, let's talk about the next way that we can help a kid learn how to imitate body movements and gestures. And see now we're moving up that little uh, rung of development. So take your hand out if you've already gotten that. So the next thing we, that we can do to help kids learn how to imitate body movements is go back to our level one activities where they were imitating actions with toys. And we make this a little more complicated by adding a gesture to that kind of play. So if we are playing with cars and we've won a child to push the car maybe we even had a racetrack or we're doing some things with cars what can we do to uh, uh, increase the likelihood that a child is going to bump up his ability to imitate but we can add some actions to that place so we might try to pantomime driving the car if we're playing with trains you know we might say woo woo and pull the train's whistle and again remember 
we're not at the verbal imitation level yet. The only thing that you want a kid to be able to do here is copy your body movement. So when we're playing with trains, you know, pretending like we're pulling the train's whistle, that would be a gesture or a big body movement that we might try to get him to imitate. Let's say that we're playing baby dolls. Even without, you know, let, let's say that we've rocked the baby and patted the baby and kissed the baby. Or, and then we could put the baby down and we could just pretend to do that. Pretend. Just do our uh, pantomime there. And, and again, this turns into what? This turns into sign language. And we know that, but we're walking a kid through there. We're walking him up to uh, that developmental level where he's going to be able to use that message or use that sign or that gesture to communicate with other people. But this is where it starts for lots of kids. Let's say that a kid really likes music and he loves a music set. Well, before you get that out, you could say, ooh, are we going to play our bells? And, you know, you pantomime, you're, you're shaking your uh, bell, you're shaking your hands like you're going to shake your bells. Or you could say, oh, we're going to play our drum today. And so even these little things where you come up just with gestures that you do before a child begins to play with a toy, that can be a huge uh, just a wonderful way to get him to start to imitate. Now, again, let me caution you. We said this at the beginning. If a kid isn't connected with you at all in play, is he going to be more connected with you when you start to do these body movements? Probably not. <laughs> so you may have to work on that connection piece first so that he is really engaged with you, so that he's watching you, so that he wants to do what you want to do. And that's what I want to say about connection. It, it happens through this whole process. If we have a kid who's not connected with us, not only is he not going to do uh, imitate actions with objects at level one, he's not going to be able to do body movements at level two and sounds at level four and exclamatory words at level five he's not so that connection piece is so important so if you really find yourself trying some of these things with a kid and he's not watching you well enough to imitate you know that you've got to what you've got to back up and get him to connect with you first so that that becomes a little bit uh, easier for him and so I want you to be sure that you're looking out the, at the handout so that you're looking at how these things emerge too because lots of times we start out with things that are just is too hard for a kid. Well, maybe as a speech language pathologist, we start out with sign language when he's not imitating any kind of body gesture. And so this is this would be the takeaway from this show. If you're an SLP <laughs> and this is the only thing you remember from this podcast, I want you to remember if you are trying to introduce signs with a kid who's not yet imitating any kind of body movement like clapping, like giving five, like raising his hands, anything like that, you've got to back up. You have jumped the gun and it's too hard for that kid. Same thing if you're a parent, if you've seen that you should be using sign language with your child, but you're wondering why isn't this working? It might be because he's not, he doesn't really know how to imitate actions with his body. So you've got to make it easier and back up to that earlier list that I showed you. Now, let's talk about how to kind of bump kids up from there. They're not quite ready for signs, and so that's why we had these in-between things. So where I like to go next, after we've done those movements that we've just talked about, those easier movements like clapping or banging on the table or giving five, knocking on a door, then we're gonna try to add our gestures to play, like we talked about. We're gonna put a gesture with an object that he's using in play. Then, And if that doesn't work, and even if it does, Here's the next thing I want you to try. Move on to one, move on to uh, songs 
or finger plays that have one main motion. And so again, you want to get a kid putting that with uh, something, a song, something that you say, we're making it more communicative, more communicative. And so let's think about what we could do for this. This would be for a kid who clapped with you before, like when he did something great and you were having him clap. Now you can bump it up and you can clap during if you're happy and you know it. So, you know, you would sing that song. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. And so can you see how you've moved that on? You've helped him take that little body movement that he copied. And now we've put it with a song. So it, it, he's communicating more with that so a little game but we just have one we don't sing 35 verses at the beginning <laughs> just go with one body movement that you want him to copy there it could even be a game like so big you know how big is whatever your child's name is let's go with Henry that's my new grandbaby's name so let's go with Henry how big is Henry how big is Henry so big and so the so big part where he's raising his little hands, that's going to be the one main body movement that you want him to imitate uh, with that song. And so again, that's how, or game, that's how you're moving him through that. Then, you know, you can try games like patty cake, or maybe you can even take a game that has a lot more hand motions, but you're just concentrating at the beginning on, you know, one little hand motion. Maybe for Itsy Bitsy Spider, it's that the kid sort of tries to do his hands. Maybe it's with Itsy Bitsy Spider that he tries to do the down came the rain and washed the spider out. You know, it could, whatever. Just pick one of those little motions that you want to have him try to do every time you play uh, that game. And so, again, we're moving him from learning how to imitate those body movements to doing it with you. And can't you see, and can't you see as a therapist, how you should be talking to parents about that progression and how you want that to move along. All right, so let's talk about, let's review the rules here. I've given you some good examples of what to do, but let's review those rules. We're going to model that gesture. We want them to imitate three to five times and then help the child perform that gesture. We want to use big gestures. You know, at this point with a kid, you don't need to be down here with something that's so complex. We need to use those big body movements and then move them to more refined uh, movements of our hands. We want to be sure that we're using heightened affect. And what does that mean? It means we're fun. It means we look fun and we sound fun. So that's certainly something uh, that we want to be able to do with that. And then uh, another thing that we want to do here is be sure that we're teaching parents how to put these body movements in the context of their everyday routine so that they will practice them. So I've given you some examples on your handout, but things like uh, when they are at breakfast or at mealtime, you know, talk with parents about the little banging their hands on the table routine or, uh, you know, patting patting their, their high chair and saying pat, 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 or all of those little things like modeling gimme fingers or modeling their hands when, with how a child should lift his hands to be picked up. So we certainly want to be sure uh, that we're doing those things too. Now, we talked about back in level one, when a kid is learning how to imitate actions with objects that other kids may not be useful, but here they might be, <laughs> especially when we're doing gross motor movements. And I gave you the example before that if you were in an office, just an easy movement kind of game to get a kid imitating these things with you, it's just to imitate, to copy you as you run from 
the back wall to the front wall and then you get there and you run from the front wall to the back wall any little game that you can do to get him going with you with this gross motor movement is what we want to try another wonderful material to use here would be books that emphasize imitating body movements my very favorite book here is an eric carl book called from head to toe and it's wonderful because it has it's older content because they use zoo animals I've had a lot of books like this in the past that are more uh, toddler focused like Barney books or Elmo books but this Eric Carl book is really wonderful because he's he's having children imitate what the animals do so it's like you know can you pat your head can you stomp your feet and again other kids getting everyone to do that may really help your little friend it with uh, who's a late talker if he's attuned enough to watch some other children other children there. Now let me give you a caution about books. If the only way that a child uses a book is to flip through the pages very quickly and he won't let you be a part of it in holding the book or doing something with him, you know that books are not going to be the best teaching tool. And he's using that book in a self-stimulatory way and he's, all that means is he's getting that visual buzz. He's just not ready to use that book where you are really showing him what that picture how the picture looks and he's got to get it he's got to understand that you want him to do that too and so you've got to model that so he can have that imitation of you but my point here is sometimes we can't use all materials for all kids because they're just not effective yet so if you have a child who again is using books in that way may not be your best choice of materials there all right so when we've done that when we've gotten a kid to be able to imitate at those easier earlier levels we're going to move on to using sign language. And again, we talked about signs and how, how wonderful they are as a compensatory strategy for kids who aren't to the level that they can say words yet and use words to communicate, but they do understand symbolism. And they do understand if I do this, I can get this. And so that piece where we're teaching them that communicative intent, I've got to do something to get something. And so here's the level when, then, when and only only when a child can imitate those body movements is when we should start to introduce sign language. And again, lots of us mess that up because we, we do it out of order. So I want to give you just a quick little introduction to introducing this primarily for the point of teaching a kid how to imitate signs. And then once he can imitate signs, oh my goodness, the possibilities are just just unending there because you're going to be able to uh, move him toward communicating again even if he's not developmentally ready to talk yet and so when I teach signs I always think about teaching with request first meaning again I've got to do something to get something so if I if I sign more here or if I sign please or candy or cookie or whatever it is I get that that's my reward and so I think that's the best way you know certainly lots of children when we think about talking Talking, they do a lot of labeling at the beginning, but that's going to be harder for a kid with who's a late talker because th there's not enough bang in that buck for that kid. We've got to we've got to make it really powerful so that when he does a sign, he, we we instantaneously reward that so that he is more motivated to continue 
to use the signs. And so uh, I've got some information about sign language strategies for success on your handout. You know, we've talked about that. We only use requests at the beginning, not labels, to make that just as communicative as we can. And we also want to use the very best motivators that we can. So what do I mean by motivators? Motivators mean what a kid will work for. What What's going to motivate him to use that sign? For some kids, it's junk food. <laughs> so you can do candy or you can do cookies or you can do chips or whatever you want to do. For some kids, it's food. For some kids, it's a toy. They will like a toy so much that they want that toy and they will just request and request and request. And I'm going to show you a, a cute little uh, routine with a toy in just a minute, a therapy clip about that. But for many of our late talking kids, the very best way that we can get them to sign, even sometimes beyond food, would be with a movement game. So doing something with them like throwing them up in the air and then teaching them to use the sign to request another turn. Now I still use all-purpose signs like more and like please, but a lot of therapists have philosophical differences with that because they say that kids get stuck there and we want to teach more specifics. Well in my opinion, that's the adult's problem, <laughs> not the child's fault, right? Because we've got to move on beyond those all-purpose signs to teach them very specific signs, but we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater there. We can still use those signs at the beginning because those signs are so easy. Bringing your hands to midline for more, we already talked about how early that midline uh, bringing your hands together occurs in typical development, and so most of our little late-talking friends can do that movement. It gets them ready to sign or trained to sign because they're already doing that one little easy sign. So I like those little all-purpose signs. And if you want to read more about that, I have a great post that I wrote years ago that's still so relevant with the 10 reasons that I still use the sign more first. And so I'll post that below so that you can see that as well. But my first signs, I do teach ones that kids can use all day, every day, like more, please. I'll go ahead and do them for you so you can see them. Eat milk all done I do it this way you can certainly do all done this way however and again let me say it doesn't matter if a child is really getting his motoric movement exactly right signing for most of our little friends will be a bridge to words and it's just another way to use just a more complex set of gestures that you understand and that he understands to be able to communicate that message so don't get all freaked out if a kid does it doesn't do a sign perfectly fine help them shape it the best you can uh, but beyond that just let it go because this is a temporary system uh, go I sign it you know you can do the ASL version but most often I sign go by rolling my hands this way open you can certainly sign it uh, open or even open with your hands split apart help is a great sign for a toddler to learn the official ASL version is uh, putting your fisted hand with your thumb up on your other hand and then lifting it lots of toddlers can't do that so any kind of modification like just bringing their hands up would be a great uh, way for them to learn to ask for assistance uh, when they can't yet say that and then mine is a big sign for a two-year-old because they're all 
possessive. They're all learning about uh, their own personal power and uh, separating themselves from their parents. We want them fully attached when they're babies, but we want them to start to get more independent when they're toddlers. And so mine is a good sign there. The next signs that I teach are listed right there in your handout. And these are all signs for uh, common foods and uh, toys. And so cookie cracker fish for goldfish i sign chip or potato chip like this candy juice is a j in the air water um cup or drink choo choo we sign it like we're pulling the train whistle bubbles like we're popping bubbles i sign balloon like we're blowing the balloon car or truck you know use your steering wheel there airplane put your arms out and act like you're flying that's kind of the baby signs version or you can use the asl version where you are flying your hand there baby rock the baby and then play and again we've already talked about the controversy there with some signs that that uh some parents even don't want their kids to sign because they don't they think that signing will prevent them from talking and so you have to walk them through that process if you're a parent who believes that i would just beg you (laughs) to not think about that think about signs like you would think about glasses for a child or maybe crutches for a child who had injured himself he needs to use this as a compensatory strategy because something's not happening there's been an injury or there's been you know like a visual impairment something that's going to prevent him from being able to do what you want him to do And so we would not withhold any kind of strategy or any kind of tool that would help him. And so think about sign language right now as a tool for our little light talking friends. But again, we can't get there. We can't get to using the signs purposefully, which is not the purpose of this course. The purpose of this course is just to teach you how to get him to imitate those signs. So uh, again, it doesn't start that, that intentionality and that purpose doesn't start until they can imitate it first. And so we have to put it in context so they can begin to imitate it. But again, sometimes this process does not happen as quickly as we would like. So what I want to do now is show you a little series of clips with uh, one of my little friends who came to visit me uh, and have me see him for a three-day assessment. We used to do those uh, several years ago. And so he came and they're going, there's another therapist who's working with him, some in these videos, and I'm actually talking to his mom in the background. So I wanted to give you some uh, context there for when you're watching the clips. So the first uh, video that you're going to see is just the end of the first day. Now, they had been in my office for nearly three hours, so they were ready to leave. I was ready to leave. (laughs) We were all kind of cranky, but this is just the end of that session. I'm finishing up with his mom, and the therapist has done a wonderful activity here trying to help him calm, but she's pairing a sign with it because she saw some readiness factors, and she thought he might be able to do this, and this is a really motivating activity for him. Now, he's probably too cranky, as you'll see, for it to be super effective on this first day, but I like that she introduced it, so I'm going to go ahead and show you this clip and then we'll we'll talk about what happens after that. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. More. Elijah, say more. Big boy. More. Oh, oh, oh. More. All right, let's try one more. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yes, 
then Elisha, wee! Bum, 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 stop! Oh, Jerry! <laughs> you tell? More! Elisha, say more! So how about that? He signed more. He just got it just a little bit right. I hope you didn't miss it. If you missed it, you need to go back and watch it again. All right, so we did that. So let's talk about what happens the second day. So he comes back, this, back the second day. He's happier. And so because he signed the day before, we want to always what? We want to pick up right where we left off. And I'm going to talk about this later with words when we get to level seven and we're talking about imitating words. That's something important that we do. But we do the same thing with signs. So if we got something in the last session, we want to reinforce that and practice that again in the second session. And so today's clip or the second day's clip went better. So watch these couple of little clips and I'm just gonna run them back to back. They're all kind of uh, excerpts from this one, say 15 minute long uh, play routine. I'm not gonna make you watch that, but watch these couple of clips. You'll see him start to get a little bit more consistency, but I really want you to pay attention to the therapist and what she's doing there with him. She's she's trying to keep him engaged. She's doing some fun little play routines. She's making it exciting and fun. She's also modeling a lot of those signs so he can what? So he can imitate. She's also helping him when he doesn't perform the sign on his own. Watch what she does. She helps him. So watch these clips and then we'll talk about him a little bit more. Oh, more, more. 
Georgia. Is he going to eat it? Tell him, eat, eat, eat. Mmm. I want cookie. Give me cookie. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, did he get it? Uh-oh, he dropped it, Elijah. Give it to him again. More cookie, more. No, 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 no. He got it. Yummy, yummy, yummy. Does he want more? More. Very good, boy. You said more. All right, so we got more there, didn't we? He was signing it, so Mom was excited. We were excited. He went back home uh, to, uh, at that time, I think he lived in Denver, went back home, went back to his child care program, which I believe was a specialized preschool. This little boy had just uh, been diagnosed with autism, by the way. I don't think I said that. But Mom was extremely frustrated because she couldn't get him to sign more anymore. And this was a single mom. She worked long days. And when would she try to get him to sign? It would be at the beginning of the day, you know, when they're getting up and getting breakfast and trying to get out the door, or at the end of a 10 or 12 hour day. Who's ready for that? You know, that all that you need to do at that point with a kid is, you know, uh, uh, feed them and give them a bath and get them to bed, right? And so they couldn't really get it going. And she would just call me and email me, and she was just so frustrated. And the childcare people weren't seeing any evidence that he had acquired this sign. And so, Again, she just she was she was so just upset that it had not stuck. And so I kept just encouraging her and saying, Well, why don't you just try to do it at different times? Why don't you try to make it more playful? Maybe maybe, you know, he, he didn't do great with food before. Why don't we try it more like we did in the therapy session with just a fun movement game or a super fun toy that you can really hook his attention with? So gave mom all this advice and then finally one day <laughs> this clip showed up in my email and so I want you just to watch this one and then we'll talk about it. to imitate the sign there for more in the context of that routine when all those other days and weeks or even months of trying had not been successful. Well, he was regulated. Did you see how happy he was and how in tune and interactive he was with his mom? And then what did his mom do? She said, let me, let me tell you what she did. She said, I just took your advice. I tried to just take the silliest, most fun thing that I could come up with to really get him to want to be with me and stay with me and do it with me and she said so I just saw that diaper box there and I just thought I'm just going to put him in there and we're just going to do that row row your boat sign and see what happened and she was so cute she said and I even tried to talk like you I even tried to say yay 
and really amp it up and ratchet it up and do all those fun things that you did with him, those things that I know that he likes. And that's why that worked. He was regulated. He was motivated because he liked that little routine. And again, the mom did her part. She made it super fun and super exciting, but super easy. She met him where he was so that he could do that first little sign that he learned for more. And after that day, it became a lot more functional for them. Other people were able to see it. She was able to use it more often. And then he was able to transition and learn some other signs. So I wanted to talk with you about that and show you in real life. It doesn't always work that first time or two we try it or it's shaky. You know, remember when that little boy was back trying to sign more for Cookie Monster? A lot of times he barely did it, but the therapist uh, rewarded him anyway and reinforced his attempts and said, yay, more. You told me more. And that's what, that's what made it meaningful. And then when mom could go home and again, find something that he really, really loved, that's what made that sign stick. So I want to encourage you. I hope that the, that information will help you stick with it and be persistent and know this isn't going to happen overnight. This is something that I am going to have to work for. All right. So let's talk about now what we can do for troubleshooting when a child is really struggling here. I've already said it, but I want to leave you with these parting words with teaching a child to imitate body movements and gestures. Make them bigger and more fun. If you've been trying to do a lot of signs and you haven't had a lot of success with that, back up. Back up to those easier, earlier things. And remember with, with on your handout, you've got some better ideas there. And if you've uh, purchased my therapy manual, Building Verbal Imitation Skills and Toddlers, you've got some good ideas there too. So back up to that, that early list where you're just trying clapping, or you're trying dancing, or trying give me five, or banging on the table. Those kinds of things. Try those things first. It might be that you, instead of uh, you know, even then, you just need to do some things in the context of the little routines you already do. Maybe if you're in his room and playing with him, you could just do something crazy like, you know, throw yourself back on his little toddler bed and kick your feet and see if you can get him to do something like that too. Introducing big gestures with lots of novelty, lots of things they haven't seen before or unexpected things for you to do. That's when sometimes you can really hook a toddler's attention and get them uh, to want to do it uh, with you. Now remember that signs are going to be harder for some kids and I did not mention this when we were moving through Elijah's little clips there. And they're really hard for kids with autism or who will go on to be diagnosed with autism. And so if you're using signs with a child and you're an SLP and you see some other markers for autism, you may want to back that up because this motoric imitation is going to be harder for them because of their difficulty with nonverbal communication. Remember what we said about that back in the autism podcast series where we're talking about or, or even in the diagnostic shows that we've done about autism or even back in the last show that I've done about the early signs of autism back in show 430 we talked about how kids really struggle with that uh, nonverbal communication piece kids with autism and then they also struggle with what the social interaction piece so they don't watch you well enough they're not as connected with you to watch you sometimes so that's why that lack of social referencing or that lack of eye contact and looking at you will make signs just 
totally unrealistic for some of our little friends with autism. Now, does that mean that you can never teach a kid with autism to sign? Absolutely not. And we just saw little Elijah back with that. But you know, our, our thing is, this, this is the thing you need to use as a therapist. If a kid can't imitate lots of those gross motor body movements, like we talked about, you know, again and again, clapping, banging on the table, give me five, you know, any of those little dancing with you those little early routines he's not going to be developmentally ready to sign and so you know that and then you know you're going to move on to PECS or another AAC system and don't that's not what this show is about we're, we're only today talking about <laughs> imitating teaching a child to imitate but just know that sometimes sign language would be too hard for kids that are on the spectrum or kids that would have any kind of motor planning difficulty so and that's evidence-based that's from a study back in uh, Frontiers in uh, neuroscience that that uh, journal and if I've gotten that reference wrong I'll correct it in the post so you can go back and look at that all right so let's finish up here by saying anytime that a kid can't do these things any of the any of this uh, whatever skill we're trying to teach them throughout this podcast series and teaching them how to imitate anytime they can't do it what do we always know it's too hard it's too hard. <laughs> so you have to back up and make yourself an easier goal so that that child can become more successful. Now, when you're using a method like this, <clears throat> I have built those earlier, easier levels in so that you know if I'm trying to teach him to imitate uh, gestures with sign language or even to do some songs with me in uh, little little hand motions and songs that's too hard you've got to back up to point and that's why uh, building verbal imitation in toddlers whole system works because even within these levels you've got your backup to point already right there you know if he's not doing the bottom of level two here I can back up to the middle and even back up to before and if this is still too hard I need to back up to that previous level so please use these ideas and use these pages and these resources that I've given you so that you can make a difference with a child and not stay stuck at uh, the same level for weeks and weeks or months and months and I'm hoping the system will really help you avoid uh, that kind of problem all right so that's all for level two let's talk about moving on when kids aren't um, well let's let's talk about how to move on first <laughs> we already talked about how not to move on we said what that you've got to back up but for moving on we want to be sure that we are looking at what comes next for a child so uh, most light talkers at this point are going to be able to jump on to level four and level five and I'm actually going to combine those levels in the next show uh, so that you can move on to those things because most of the time kids are really again developing mentally ready like we talked about imitation before you've got imitation out here with gross motor movements and with actions with objects and then we make it a little more refined where they're imitating even some sign language so some more refined body movements that have become gestures and so now we're going to make it a little harder and so for most light talkers we're going to bump up to level four and level five where we start doing these really really cool easy early vocalizations so they're almost ready to talk right but there's a subset of late talkers 
<clears throat> who again have had more physical challenges usually or there's something structurally that's happened or neurologically that's causing again muscle tone differences or perhaps even feeding difficulties for those kids they're going to move on to level three because then we're going to teach them how to imitate with their mouths but we're not going to put sound with it yet but again that's controversial in our field because there's so much research that says talking and then doing non-speech oral motor movements aren't necessarily connected but there are some kids again and I'll go into more depth about this in that next show who do need that so for your starting point if you have a kid that's already starting to be a little more verbal go ahead and jump on to show 426 where we're going to talk about level four and level five but if you have a kid that you're just like uh, I don't I don't hear any noise from him. I need him to be noisier first. I need him to really kind of get that he has a mouth and a face. Then you're going to move on to the next show, <clears throat> which is 425. So I wanted to leave you uh, with that piece of advice. All right. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I love teaching this material and I love being able to share it with you. Uh, through podcast or if you're watching uh, video on YouTube. If you haven't subscribed to my channel already, please consider doing that. We would appreciate that so much. All right, that's all for today. I'm Laura Mice, <clears throat> pediatric speech language pathologist, and thank you so much for joining me for this course in Teach Me to Talks, Building Verbal Imitation in Light Talkers. Music.